Welcome back to the Miko Pellet Hour. I'm your host, Miko Pellet, and we're talking about Palestine. We're talking about who I am and why I'm doing the show. And uh, as I was saying in the uh, first half of the show, I was introducing myself. I just wanted to introduce myself and, and, and explain to the audience why it is that I do what I do and why I speak the way I speak. And to clarify and to uh, dispel some of the misinformation that's out there and the great deal of confusion that's out there. And I'll plug in my book right now. I've talked about it, The General Sun, Journey of an Israeli in Palestine. It's a great primer and it's a great um, it's a great way to introduce people to the issue of Palestine. And for people who are kind of confused, and a lot of people are confused, a lot of people are not comfortable talking or, or, or discussing it. It's a, it's a gentle way to walk in, to go into the issue of Palestine and Israel, because the book in this book, I take you through my journey from being this very proud uh, Israeli Zionist and then realizing that really for the benefit of Israelis and Palestinians, what needs to happen is we need to dismantle the apartheid state. We need to fight for the rights of Palestinians and we need to fight for equality in a free democratic Palestine, as they say, from the river to the sea. And recently there's been a lot of um, trouble with this term, the river to the sea, the Zionists, that drives them crazy. And they give all kinds of false interpretations of what it means when Palestinians say from the river to the sea. But we can't forget that it was Israel who created a single state, an apartheid state, from the river to the sea. And the river is the River Jordan. The sea is the Mediterranean Sea. Those are that's the river and the sea, in case anybody didn't know. And so that's the call from the river to the sea, or from water to water. Um, but the, Israel established a single state and didn't allow the Palestinians any chance whatsoever to establish anything really, any sort of independence on any part of that country. So whereas the state of Israel is a, is a racist state, an exclusionary state, a supremacist state that is anti-Palestinian inherently, a free democratic Palestine with equal rights would be good for everyone. And that's what from the, and that's what a free Palestine from the river to the sea means. And that's what it's about. So let's talk about Gaza now. Um, since October the 7th, the news has been filled with um, what has been going on in Gaza. And it's one of those, it's, it's a watershed moment. October 7th will always be remembered. It's be one of those moments where people ask, where were you on October 7th? Not if you're an American necessarily, but certainly if you're an Israeli or a Palestinian or anybody who was involved in this issue, it's gonna be a question people ask, so where were you? How did you hear about it? So I, uh, I, I have a column in several uh, online publications. One of them is Mondo Weiss, which is uh, focused on Palestine. And on the 6th, I sent him an article and on the morning of the 7th, very early, I checked my mail and there was an email there from the editor saying, uh, thanks for the article. Could you please add something about what just happened? Well, what happened? I didn't know anything had happened. It's this was six o'clock in the morning here in Washington, D.C. So I, uh, you know, of course, started looking around and it was clear that something unprecedented happened. We weren't really sure about just how big it was and what kind of effect it would have. But it was obvious that the morning of October the 7th, Palestinian fighters crossed the fence from the Gaza Strip, which is really an open-air prison. They came by gliders. 
they came by boats because the Gaza Strip is on the coast. So they came by boats. And they came on foot. They just trampled over the fence because of some parts of the of, of the fence were literally just 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 a fence, just a barbed wire. And they came in and they took over almost half of the country, half of Palestine or half of the state of Israel, the entire southern half. 22 cities and, and different kind of Israeli settlements were taken over by Palestinian fighters. They took over a major military base, the military base of the Gaza Brigade, which is supposed to be there to prevent what happened, to prevent just this. They took over the base. Apparently, although there was no confirmation, apparently they took the general, the base commander, and the, the brigade commander, who was a general, they took him uh, as a prisoner. And... Um, there was total panic all over Israel. Israel was paralyzed. They had never thought something like this could happen. The entire security apparatus was nowhere to be find, found. This enormous security apparatus, which people talk about, you know, the great Israeli army, the great Israeli intelligence uh, capabilities, gone. Nothing worked. And to be honest, it's not the first time that the system is challenged and fails. In fact, every single time the system was challenged, it failed. Now, the 7th of October, 2023, was exactly 50 years and one day since another surprise attack that Israel um, uh, woke up to realize, and that was the October 1973 war. On October the 6th, 1973, the Egyptian and Syrian military in, you know, engaged in a surprise attack against Israel and caught Israel completely off guard. The intelligence services failed. The Israeli army was asleep. There were just a few soldiers in, in, in um, you know, on the border sleeping that morning. When massive, massive numbers of Egyptian soldiers crossed the Suez Canal into the Sinai Peninsula and surprised the soldiers who were, you know, taking a nap uh, in the bunkers there. And the Syrian army came in from the north into the Golan Heights. And Israel was sleeping. The Israeli army was asleep. So I don't think it's a coincidence that this attack took place exactly 50 years and one day since the 1973 war. And the results this time were much more devastating. But the bottom line is that the system fails. The Israeli system fails every time it's challenged. And all the stories we hear about the Israeli army's great victories were always victories when the Israeli army attacked unprepared, either countries that were unprepared or people, civilians that never had an army. So if we go back to 1948, what they call the War of Independence was not a war of independence. It was a campaign of ethnic cleansing against the civilians that didn't have a military force. That's how Israel was established. Well-trained, well-armed militia who became the Israeli army attacked Palestinians. They displaced close to 1 million Palestinians who became refugees and destroyed hundreds and hundreds of towns and cities, raised them to the ground. And there were death marches and there were massacres. We can talk about that another time, but that was the beginning of Israel. Then in 1956, Israel, Israel, along with Britain and France, attacked the Egyptian army. It attacked the Egyptian surprise attack. And um, 
And then in 1967, Israel engaged in a massive, brutal assault against uh, all of its neighbors, really, but predominantly Egypt and then Jordan and Syria, and occupied a great deal of land and so on. So these were all attacks that were that were number one unprovoked. Number two were were by a massive Israeli army against countries or or civilians who were not prepared and were not even capable not capable of defending themselves. So going back to this time, um, we heard quite fast after this took place, Israeli, Israelis were paralyzed. I mean, my family, everybody was terrified. My family lives in Jerusalem, which is you know miles away, but still. Um, there are all kinds of stories, all kinds of rumors floating about massacring, about the Palestinians massacring babies and raping women and massacring civilians and horrors. And it took the Israeli army days before, I think more than two weeks before they were able to push back the Palestinian fighters back into the Gaza Strip and then begin the fighting in the Gaza Strip. But the Israeli response to this humiliation, which is the, which it was, it was a massive humiliation. The Israeli response was what you'd expect from a gangster who's humiliated, from a bully who's humiliated. They took out their anger and their vengeance against civilians who could not possibly have defended themselves. They began massive bombing of civilian population in the Gaza Strip massive bombing to the point where we're way beyond 10,000 Palestinians in the Gaza Strip killed. Civilians. It also attacked Palestinians in the West Bank, arrested thousands, killed, killed I don't know how many yet. I mean, it's, it's still unknown. And now <clears throat> what's being revealed over the last, I would say, two weeks or so is that a great many of the Israeli casualties, the Israeli casualties, that Israel claimed were killed by Palestinian fighters, a great many of them were actually killed by Israeli forces. This started when a couple of weeks ago, one of the witnesses in one of the settlements that was taken by the Palestinian fighters said that she saw the Israeli army shelling homes that were that in which there were hostages. So the Palestinians, the Palestinian fighters took hostages and put them in different houses in the within the settlement. And the Israeli tanks came and shelled those houses with the Israelis inside them. Then, more recently, there are at least two pieces in the Israeli press indicating that uh, the first responders, so to speak, were Israeli um, military helicopters. They came down and they started shooting at anything that moved. And they could not distinguish and did not distinguish between Israelis and the Palestinian fighters. So they killed everybody in sight. So once again, we don't know how many were killed by Israel. We don't know if any were killed by the Palestinians because the declared, the declared purpose of this operation was to take hostages and then negotiate for the release of Palestinian prisoners. Now, Israel has been holding, before, by October 7th, Israel had 6,000 or thereabouts Palestinian prisoners in its jails, treated in the most horrific ways, tortured, in the most horrific ways, um, including women and children. Between October the 7th and today, we're about six weeks into this, or it's almost the end of, actually it's the end of November right now, um, we see a double 
the number of Palestinian prisoners in the Israeli jails doubled. And Israel just grabs people. I mean, one of my best friends, Bastin Tamimi, who's a well-known activist, he was on his way to Jordan, crossing the border from Palestine to Jordan. He was arrested there. His daughter, Ahed Tamimi, who became famous a few years ago when she slapped a soldier and was arrested, she was yanked out of her bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. She didn't do anything. And most of these Palestinians either did nothing or they were they were activists, political. Uh, these are mostly political prisoners. Very few actually engaged in, in, in acts of armed resistance. And so the, the objective of this operation by the Palestinians was to take hostages and then have a, uh, and, and negotiate for release of, of prisoners. Why would they kill people? If that's the objective, why kill people? And so the Israeli claims don't hold water. Again, we don't know precisely what happened because there's been no real independent investigation. All the news that's coming out about that is from the Israeli propaganda machine. And there's some news coming out from the Palestinian side in Gaza, which has been proven so far to be very accurate. And even Israelis have been relying on it because the first few days, the Israeli press, the Israeli government were nowhere to be found. Nobody knew what was going on. And so Israelis were looking online at things that were quoted from the Palestinian sources in Gaza to see what the hell was happening. But the way this is being framed as a war between Israel and Hamas, or a war between Israel and Gaza, it's not a war between Israel and Hamas. Hamas is a resistance organization. Resistance organizations emerge as a result of oppression. Hamas did not start this. Hamas is one resistance organization, a Palestinian organization, one of several. This is not a war with Gaza. The Gaza Strip is a strip of land that was created in 1949-50 as a prison. And hundreds of thousands of Palestinian refugees who were thrown out of their homes and their land were, you know, that was where they, they sent them. So a great many of them are actually refugees from other places. They did not begin the war. The war began when, 75 years ago, Israel waged war against the Palestinian people, established an apartheid state on their land, kicked out a great many of them, and destroyed and razed many towns and villages. And since then, they've been continuing. In other words, the killing, the destruction, the displacement, the, the destroying monuments and historical sites. In other words, the, the, the objective is to completely destroy any memory that there was a Palestine. And it, it comes, I'm sure it's no secret to anyone, Palestine is, is enormously rich with historical sites, with monuments, with um, things going back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. The Gaza Strip was, a, or the city of Gaza, historically was a rich and extremely important city. It's right on the coast and it sits pretty much between Palestine and Egypt. So it was a crossroads. It was a, it was a place where it was known for um, schools, for universities, churches later on, and, uh, and so on. It was a place of learning, a place of great culture and commerce. Oops. Oops. Excuse me. Sorry about that. My mouse fell. Um, so, um, so that was the Gaza, and now there's a Gaza Strip because they created the Strip and, and, and turned it into a home of, of, of millions of refugees. Um, but to say that Palestinians are somehow at fault here, to say that Palestinians started the war is, is, is of course, absurd. Um, this is a, a massive assault by the Israeli military against a civilian population that has never had an army. 
and uh, only because they're humiliated. Now, where do we go from here? You know, people have been calling for a ceasefire. Ceasefire is not going to solve the problem. But the ceasefire is something that is temporary and will be violated by Israel for sure, because Israel always violates ceasefires. Israel has to always continue to attack Palestinians, always. Because the only other solution is to make peace and allow the Palestinians to go back to their homes. And Israel doesn't want peace, and it certainly doesn't want the Palestinians to go back to their homes. There's also this interesting claim out there that um, I thought was put to rest years ago, but I hear it being repeated, and that is that somehow Israel created Hamas. Hamas is a resistance organization that came out of the Islamic movement in Palestine. It was established in the late 80s when the first, what's known as the first Intifada or the first Palestinian uprising was taking place. And... Um, I don't know why anybody would possibly claim that Israel established Hamas or helped create Hamas. It's 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 an absolutely uh, uh, I don't even have another word. It's a crazy idea. Um, and uh, from the moment they were established, they began with resistance operations. And um, the notion somehow Israel wanted Hamas to be there or established. I think I think this comes because as as an attempt to discredit Hamas as a legitimately Palestinian uh, resistance movement. And so if you say that Israel created it, then of course, well, they're not that legit, and maybe they're hoping to create some kind of a rift between the organization and Palestinians. I don't know. Some kind of a deranged idea. But Israel did not create Hamas. I mean, we need to put this to rest. Israel did not do anything like that. There's also a claim that somehow Israel, the reason the Palestinians on October the 7th were successful is because Israel knew it was going to happen and let it happen. In other words, if Palestinians are able or show, show some ability to do something successfully, it is only because Israel allowed it. Israel was pulling the strings because on their own, of course, Palestinians would never be able to do this. This, again, comes from this very racist place where the only way Palestinians can succeed is if Israel allows them to. The only way Palestinians succeed is if Israel is pulling the strings. This is also why all the rumors about killing babies and raping women were accepted because they fell on a racist, very fertile racist ground. Well, if Arabs are attacking, then if they see white women, they're going to rape them. And when they see babies, they will kill them. And, you know, some kind of a crazed Arab mob, which fits the racist stereotypes that are out there about Palestinians and about Arabs. But I didn't believe any of this from the get-go. I called them rumors from the very beginning, and I got to a lot of heat because of that. Uh, but I stand by that until somebody proves uh, otherwise. And, and many of these claims actually were refuted right away or very fast that they'd committed these crimes. And I didn't believe that they would anyway. But because there's this fertile ground of, of racist stereotypes and racist ideas about Palestinians, about Arabs, about Muslims, then when these claims came out that Israel created Hamas, that the Palestinians did all these terrible things, committed all these terrible crimes, was completely accepted. And even now, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged in interviews and in conversations with people all the time. And, and almost everyone starts with those, uh, with those claims, even though they were refuted publicly in the press, they were refuted everywhere. Um, and politicians repeat them, and uh, people are out there speaking about this issue, repeat them constantly. Um, but again, it's important to realize that this is um, this is coming out of racism. It's coming out of uh, a desire to support what is inherently an unjust uh, creation, which is the state of Israel. And again, we shouldn't confuse 
or we shouldn't allow the other side, the Israeli side, to confuse calling for the dismantling of an apartheid state, which they named Israel, by the way. The name Israel was given to this apartheid state by them. So they say, well, you want to destroy Israel. Well, we want to dismantle the apartheid state and we want to replace it with a free democratic Palestine from the river to the sea. In other words, on all of historic Palestine. The name Palestine has a history. The name Israel is from the Bible. It's not the same thing. One can believe or not believe, uh, have whatever faith they have. It has nothing to do with history. The name Palestine has a rich history. The name Israel was a name that was imposed on Palestine by the apartheid state 75 years ago. So regardless of that, what's important is to remember that what we want to do, if we care for justice and if we care for peace, if we care to see the possibility of peace between Israelis and Palestinians become a reality, then we have to get rid of the apartheid state. You cannot have peace when you have apartheid. You cannot have peace when you have a racist, violent regime that is murdering civilians, massacring civilians on a regular basis. Israel is engaged, not, not only is Israel an apartheid state, which is a crime against humanity, it's engaged in genocide. Now, for the crime of genocide to be considered genocide, according to the definition of the crime, there has to be intent. So if Israel drops a one-ton bomb and kills uh, civilians and burns babies in the process, which they do very often, then they, if they do it once, then they can claim, well, it was a mistake. That's not genocide. But when there's a history of 75 years of massacring civilians, many of them are burnt when these bombs fall. I don't know, you know, people say the Palestinians burnt babies. Israel has been burning Palestinians with these bombs, but I don't want to get into all these gory details. But when you see a 75-year-long a continuous campaign of targeting and murdering civilians. That shows intent. That demonstrates intent. And since there's intent, and since these are clearly genocidal acts, I think it's very safe to say that the state of Israel is also engaged in a crime of genocide. And I would add to that the crime of ethnic cleansing, of course, too. So we have genocide, we have ethnic cleansing, we have apartheid. What else do we need? What else do we need in order to start a massive campaign to end it? To work for Palestinian rights, to work for equal rights. That's what this is about. This is my con conclusion. And I, my hope is that through this uh, program, as one of several means that I'm engaged in, one of several platforms I'm engaged in, to get people to understand why it should be unacceptable to support Zionism, why it should be unacceptable to vote for any anyone running for office, whether it's school board or all the way to president. It's unacceptable to vote for someone who is uh, identifies as a Zionist, that we should stay, uh, we should be serious about about no zero tolerance to racism when we say that. And that means zero tolerance to Zionism, which is a racist ideology and produced a racist state. And to have a conversation. So I'm happy if people want to write to me, if people want to um, find me on social media. I'm, in, I'm on all the platforms. 
You can always send me messages on Instagram, on Facebook. You can send me messages on Twitter. Um, I'm on all these, I'm mostly on those on those platforms. And if you have any questions, anything you want me to address, anyone particular that you think would be good to uh, interview, uh, I'm open to all of that. So please let me know. Once again, I'm Miko Pellet. This is the Miko Pellet Hour. I want to thank you for joining me, spending your the, the this hour with me. This is the first of what I sincerely hope will be many, many conversations on this issue. Um, I want you to stay tuned because coming up next is uh, soul conversions, soul conversations, excuse me. And um, so please stay tuned and um, I'll see you next week on the Miko Pellet Hour. Thank you.